pour them into the sink. Ex excuse me? Just empty every bottle to the very last drop. It's just they are toxic chemicals and the regulation states that pour them right down the drain, Mr. Kim. If I pour them in the drain, they run into the Han River. That's right. Let's just dump them in the Han River. But you know, this is not just any toxic chemicals, so you the have- The Han River is very broad, Mr. Kim. Let's try to be broad-minded about this. Hmm? Anyway, that's an order. So, start pouring. scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome to the fear of God podcast. We are so glad you're here for this episode and this installment of our umbrella series for the year that of 2020 2020. We hope you all have been enjoying the series because we sure have. To know exactly what it's all about, go back and listen to our precap episode from the end of January for deeper insight. But basically, you all are voting on your favorite horror films from the last 20 years, and we are covering one from each year. We stepped into the light with Shadow of the Vampire, then Steve Beckley helped renew our commitment to Sparkle Motion with Donnie Darko. After that, we roamed a viral wasteland, and 28 days later, next, we stopped off to see Captain Spaulding at the House of a Thousand Corpses. Blake Collier joined us in the bathroom for 2004 Saw, and last week, foreign correspondent and Secretary of State in the Fog 2020 Cabinet Vera Gowdy helped us parse our thoughts on hard candy. And this week... We go back to Korea to check in on our friend, Bong Joon-ho. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, Reed was here, but then he farted. And I could just tell he was in a B-plus condition. And strange <laughs> as it sounds, he, he fell asleep from lack of protein. It's, it's a thing, y'all. It's a little Lackey secret there. But he'll... He'll come too, hopefully in time for the conversation. But even if he doesn't, uh, you know, we, we've got some surprises left for you here. In the meantime, it has been a year of guests, speaking of surprises, and we've got another one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, I know her as Sophie from the BFG. What? But what? you'll get to know her as co-host of her own podcast, Death by Monsters. Friends and Foggers, allow me to introduce and welcome for the first time to the show, Paula Deming. Paula. 
Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. And I'm also excited that I get the reference you just made about Reed because <laughs> I watched the movie we're talking Good. about. Good. <laughs> it would have been a little awkward had you not. Now, Paula, I know you know this, but we want listeners, you know this as a podcaster yourself, mm-hmm. especially new listeners. To know that at the fear of God, we explore the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. And if that sounds like something you'd enjoy, listener, come find us on Twitter, on Instagram, join us in the Facebook group for lively discussions. Because here at the fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for right now. What I'm going to explain that you can listen to The Fear of God on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, anywhere podcasts are sold. While you're at it, put on that face mask, wash those hands, and then go subscribe to us on your favorite platform. And if said platform is iTunes, be so kind as to leave us a five-star rating or a glowing review. You can also find us on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com where you'll find an episode archive and you'll be able to purchase merchandise from the show. See fellow foggers and their fog swag like t-shirts, mugs, cell phone cases, pillows. Reed! Hey, buddy, you you woke up. Looks like you cleared the room, too. <laughs> yeah, B plus for uh, sure. B yeah. plus. Reed, Paula, sure. Reed, I don't know if you have a guest. You just... You know. Oh, sorry. I usually only do that when it's just you and I. Man, room, I may have to leave now. Let's see. I'm sorry. This is this is uh, not comfortable for uh, for for mixed company. So so there there it is. Um, Paula, hey, hi. Hello, Reed. Reed. Reed, did you know that Paula was actually one of our very first listeners to review us on iTunes? I did know that, and I want to thank you very very much for that. Hey. All those years here we, here we ago. are. You are very, very welcome. It was my pleasure. <laughs> um, so uh, obviously, the the way that I most directly know you is through our mutual friend Nathan. Um, mm. But also, uh, we are master escape artists, like another individual we sure are. in uh, in this film. Uh, so we ourselves uh, all participated along with some other dear friends of Nathan's for an uh, uh, escape room. It was my very first ever escape room. It was my first ever escape room as well. We made it out. That we was did. really. That I was did really not exciting. contribute to that at all, though. I will say, I think I did no solving of any clues. I just you, was like encouragement all the way. You know what? Everybody <laughs> needs a cheerleader. So that that's a vital role. Okay, Thank it's you. an essential role in these essential times. Um, no, sincerely, it's it's uh, really good to have you finally on the show. We're so glad you're here. Now, uh, uh, between the three of us, I think there's really no argument who the veteran podcaster is in this little conversation. Um, so you yourself are actually a seasoned podcaster, but I, I think Ooh, there's yeah. a show Well, that... I don't know about seasoned, but I do do <laughs> hey. a number of, I podcast in a number of places. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, sincerely, there's a show that you do that is uh, wildly popular, and I think that our listeners, uh, if they don't already know about it, would love to hear about it. Can you Can you tell them about your new favorite show? Yeah, well, uh, I am one of three co-hosts for a show called Death by Monsters, a comedy podcast all about monsters, mysteries, and the unknown. So we, uh, like I said, it's a comedy podcast. We take a, I'll say, a irreverent occasionally look at the supernatural, the paranormal, mysteries, 
um, cryptids, anything kind of weird, creepy, or strange uh, we talk about on the podcast. Uh, one of our hosts, Matthew, does a ton of research and presents uh, stories to us like the existence of Bigfoot that he truly believes in. Mm. And then my other co-host and I, Nick, come in with our varying degrees of skepticism and we just talk <laughs> about whether or not we believe any of the stuff that Matthew has told us. And yeah, if that sounds like a thing you would like. And I feel like people who are into the Fear of God podcast might be into the kinds of things we're talking about over there. Give it a listen. Give it a whirl. Start at the beginning, I would say. But yeah. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> Well, and we're talking about a monster movie today, so it is appropriate. We sure Absolutely. are. So um, we, we always like to do this, uh, particularly with first-time guests. We have two sort of key core questions uh, that we like to ask. I'll start with uh, a, a bit of a Tell us about your childhood. One. Yes. I'm uh, just kidding. Can you? Kidding. <laughs> well, I was um, a weird kid and not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> it all began. Um, Pretty much the same way I always was. <laughs> <laughs> I was born at an early age. Um, I feel so like what, my we'll, southern accent is going to come out in this recording right now. Well, just from being I mean, around you two, I'll say it. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> you got a Carolina guy and a Georgia boy here. so It is, <laughs> it is going Or should I say a Georgia boy? <laughs> it is inevitable. Um, but no, so we have uh, uh, two questions. The first one I'll lob at you is, is tell us a little bit about your own particular personal histories with um, the horror genre genre specifically, um, and also possibly uh, its intersection or separate to that, uh, your own sort of faith conditioning that you're coming from. Yeah. So I have an interesting relationship with horror films. I I have an incredibly active imagination. And so I mm. personally feel like I need to be very careful what I expose myself to because ah. that'll stick in my brain. And then at three in the morning, I'll wake up thinking about it. Uh, so there is... I'm not as well-seasoned in the horror genre as either of you, oh, uh, okay. I would say. Uh, I kind of grew up with this idea. And, and one of the things that I love about this show specifically, it, it challenges this perception, this idea that I grew up with. You know, I grew up with this idea that, you know, be careful, little eyes, what you see. and mm, Right, right. And should should I be exposing myself to these things is that the kind of thing that God would want me to be seeing or thinking about or whatever. And and what I love specifically about this show is how we can look at a lot of these things in these movies and find God in them or find lessons mm. in them um, yeah. that mm. speak to human truths that can in their own way be healing, I think. Mm. So... Mm. That's kind of my f feeling about the horror genre. And there's some parts of the genre that I know I need to stay away from. And there are some that sure, I can like sure. dive in wholeheartedly. So that's yeah, kind of where that's I'm at. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. a good, that's a really good response. I'm going to yeah. Venmo you those five bucks. Hey, <laughs> thank you so much. Totally sure. worth the amount of time it took me to prepare that statement. <laughs> not, not only, uh, not only a uh, a really stellar co-host, but also our accountant. Uh, he, he does, <laughs> That's why we have no money. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the thank you again for your kind words. The second uh, question that we like to ask is just. What scares you? You have a vivid imagination, so the, oh, yeah. the, the list may be long. Uh, I've, my, you know, my drink cup is full. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, what what scares Paula? Um, I mean, just about anything will scare me. Uh, for me, in terms of just like horror films, 
what scares me are stories about demons and possession mm, mm. and so like the exorcist or anything that kind of delves into that world i find very scary because i think it's real i always feel kind of mm, weird saying mm. that but maybe this isn't a place where i need to feel weird about that um, no not at all i find that a lot scarier than like a slasher movie or a monster movie mm. yeah you know what's that that is what scares me so what's interesting about that, so I always like to point out to people when they specifically mm-hmm. cite that supernatural films are their, sort of their Achilles heel, uh, I always like to point out to people, if you don't already know that The Exorcist is my favorite film, uh, that, that is my very favorite movie. Uh, not just horror film, like, favorite movie. It scares um, me so much. Yeah, which I've I, seen which it I always once. like to, I can never watch it again. <laughs> oh, man, I... I love the film so much. Actually, just recently rewatched it. Uh, just had it on because uh, just had Shutter, it on. This movie that started. I just had it on in the background. I need to get some work done. As one does. As one. Folding some laundry. Folding some to laundry. relax. You know, there's nothing like that. Uh, you know, but uh, because Shutter uh, recently did this. Uh, they had this great series. It's a Shutter original series uh, called Cursed Films, and uh, it's only a five episode series, but it's a little like thirty minute documentary style on films, horror films specifically, that have a reputation for their productions or their impact being oh, that's specifically really cursed. It is a mm-hmm. fascinating documentary, uh, and their very first episode was on The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I was like, oh man, it's uh, it's been you know a couple of days since I've seen this. I should see it again. So, um, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, but it's funny. I, what scares me in terms of like films, it's interesting you talk about the realness of the spiritual nature of it. So I, I feel like in some ways I'm a bit of an anomaly in the, in the category that I do uh, as well authentically believe in so many of those sort of spiritual warfare dynamics, which actually I think with my particular sensibilities inoculates me to the fear factor in films like that. It, it just uh, a different approach. Just uh, that that's not my point that's really in saying interesting, that. But, yeah. Um, but what really unnerves me is monster or creature films uh, of nature, like the jaws, oh, uh, the yeah. recent crawl, the, those movies have a tendency to really unnerve me. And it is, a lot in the same way of what you described because I know that nature is completely unsentimental and so if I were to be in a condition where a shark had me on its radar I would be pretty helpless to you know you to a no large power degree over nature yeah exactly um and so that's that kind of gets under my skin in the same way that some people uh, would describe their similar reactions to like the spiritual warfare dynamics so uh, so just it, it, it's always interesting to hear what Particular, particularly pushes people's buttons or anything. But for what it's worth, Reed, I mean, if if you and I were out in the ocean and the shark were upon us, I think you're probably safe. Uh, at least for a little bit. It's, it's probably it's probably coming at I've me got a first. good three minutes there that I can start. <laughs> yeah. Well, Just it depends family. on which one of you is already bleeding, I feel right, like. Right, right. Oh. Tell, <laughs> tell my family I love them. You know, um, Paula, you wouldn't know this, but Reed and I have this year begun a an off format sort of sub category to our show called B sides, um, like the old cassette tapes, B sides. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, last week or two weeks ago, I got a fun idea for one where Reed was, um, just, telling the plot of the entire franchise of the Saw films. Well, I just got inspired by y'all's back and forth for a whole other B-side read. And this, you know, do, do what you will with this read to the typewriter, right? So the typewriter. I just have this, I just have this vision of 
B-sides, Reed and the Exorcist somehow. I'll come up with a catchier title. But like it's Reed pitching to people who've never seen The Exorcist to watch The Exorcist. And then he debriefs with them. It's like, you know, you got your little old ladies, you know, like, okay, Grandma, you're going to watch The Exorcist. And then we're going to talk about it. (laughs) I would love to listen to Reed traumatize these people. You, you, uh, (laughs) y'all are going to need to proceed without me because I have... A new project that requires, yeah. it requires my immediate attention. <laughs> my immediate attention. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's you know, wh- while you're brainstorming that, Riri. So, <laughs> oh, I almost forgot, Reed. You are, you're my running mate in this election year. Aww. You know, we've got the 2020-2020 uh, aesthetic going on. And, and I don't know if you heard, buddy, but Wisconsin had a rather contested primary vote just yesterday. And uh, we, and by we, I mean you and I and all the foggers, we overcame all those scurrilous goings-on associated, and we won! We won? We won in Wisconsin. Turns out... Man, I keep waiting for the day that you're going to tell me, hey, this primary happened and uh, we we didn't win. I I keep waiting for that day to happen. I just, you know, it's our show, so... You so, can more or less plan if on If you that. can't win here, where can you? Exactly. Win, can you win? <laughs> you can't win here. You can't win anywhere. It's too real, Riri. Paula. Too real. No. You know, whether it's Reed, whether it's Riri, you know, so many names. You have the exorcist guy. Uh, Do people call me that? I don't remember. You know, I'm, I'm st- it's a work in progress. I'm, I'm so what's testing really funny, some stuff out. What? No, what's really funny about that, uh, shout out in case he listens to this episode to uh, MJ, uh, to my buddy MJ, who actually hosted in Bakersfield. Michael Jackson? Well, he didn't host it, but no, no, no. Oh, even better than Michael, Michael Jackson. Michael Jordan. No, 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 no. Uh, co-host of the podcast Real Perspective. Who, Nathan, let me finish the story. So... Um, <laughs> Co-host of the of the podcast Real Perspective. So, what's funny about you saying that is that he uh, actually just two years ago um, invited me to a screening of The Exorcist at the Fox Theater in Bakersfield, where I had the distinct privilege of actually uh, open making the opening remarks to the screening of The Exorcist, which was really a profound privilege of mine. Um, and what was the reason I'm all bringing the whole reason I'm bringing that up is because. He and his wife were recently recently watching something where I came up, and she was like, "Oh, is he that exorcist guy?" <laughs> so there is actually somebody who calls me the exorcist guy. So yeah, uh, so hey, yes, I'm okay, sure that now there are going to be plenty of others. But gonna be meanwhile, lot. not here, not in this moment, are you the exorcist guy? Right now, Riri, you are lackey the listicle, my occasionally listless list making lackey. Would you, my friend, <laughs> enumerate? <laughs> would you would you enumerate for us? Tell the listeners and Paula, if she doesn't know, about 2020-2020 and how they can continue to assist us in this series. I would be delighted to do that. <laughs> um, not, not, in this, not in this voice, though. Um, Lackey's not here anymore. <laughs> what an excellent day for a list. Um, so what I'm going to do is, uh, is explain to you, because your time is limited, ladies and gentlemen. As of this episode, this is your last chance, your last week. Oh, my week. goodness to participate in our listener-voted surveys on your favorite films from each year. 
starting in the year 2000 and going all the way through 2020. So we're doing this in little phases, and the end of phase one is nigh, much to our sadness, but we're on to some really exciting things from there. So if you go right now to thefearofgodpodcast.com, click on the banner that is at the top of the page, it will take you to the survey page where, as of this week, you can still cast your votes for your favorite horror films of 2008. 2008, as of this week, is the only survey that is still available. If you want to cast your vote there, go to 2008, cast your vote for your favorites, and we are going to count down that list of your favorite horror films of each year right here on the show. So go to thefearofgodpodcast.com, follow the banner, cast your vote, get out the vote, and we will see you right back here for your top 10 list. It is very exciting. I've been enjoying this series a ton. Uh, I don't know if the listeners have, but this this has been a lot of fun for me. Um, so that brings us to, Nathan, are you ready? I'm ready. Paula, you ready? Paula, Paula, you ready? Oh boy, am I ready. So we are going to count down right now for you listeners. Wait no further. We are going to count down your favorite horror films of the year 2006. Paula, as our guest, you have the distinct privilege of kicking off the list at number 10. And then, Nathan, you will follow her, and we will go around that way uh, until we finish the list. So would you do the honors of kicking the list off? The problem is I'm going to have to pronounce names here, I've realized. <laughs> People's names. I don't know how any of y'all say your names. You can't do any worse than Blake Collier a couple weeks ago, I promise you. <laughs> uh, he holds the, the key. Uh, I think that's, uh, yeah, he's the king. At number 10, you have Saw 3, directed by Darren Lynn Boozman. That's the way I would say it. I think that's right. I think Thank that's absolutely you. correct. So, uh, uh, listeners, obviously, we covered uh, Saw a couple of weeks ago with fellow uh, resident fogger Blake Collier. And uh, it's interesting because it skipped a year. Saw 2 did not make our list last year, I don't believe. Um, but here, just coming in at the bottom of the, of the top 10 is Saw 3, which I do find pretty interesting. Uh, you can go back and listen to our episode with Blake to hear our thoughts not only on the original installment, but on kind of the franchise as a whole. So, uh, yeah, your number 10, Saw 3. Nathan? Uh, number 9 is... A foreign film uh, that you have referenced at some time in the last six months on the show. Uh, yes. The non-English version of the title is Ills, but I'm not sure where this is from, so I'm not going to say where it's from. French. That's where you... It's a French-Romanian okay. film. Ooh la la. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in parentheses, it says them. So presumably Ills is the word them in either French or Romanian. Directed by David Moreau and Xavier Palud. I... I've never seen this. Um, Paula, have you seen it? I haven't, but I'm intrigued by the title. Yeah, then... it's a it's a home invasion film. Uh, so, but and oh and, boy, and, maybe I shouldn't watch it. That's another <laughs> yeah. thing that scares me. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's we're just going to discover all the things throughout this all conversation. The, all the things scare me. Basically, Ooh, that it's amazing too. that yeah. I do a podcast about monsters and mysteries and ghosts because I'm like <laughs> y'all. You don't even know. You don't know. Um, so yeah. So uh, it, it it is. It has been as it often is with these entries in the list. It's been some time since I've seen it, um, but I do remember it being incredibly tense, pretty brief. I think like in the seventy five eighty minute mark. So so digestible in that way. But uh, but indeed a very uh, taut and uh, high tension kind of film. Not high tension itself, but nope. ills. Um, okay, so. <laughs> Uh, you're number eight, <laughs> listeners. There Say is no, there is no other way to introduce this mother effing movie uh, than, 
<laughs> than to say that your number eight is Mother Effin' Snakes on a Mother Effin' Plane, directed by one Mr. David R. Ellis. Uh, yes, indeed, Snakes on a Plane, uh, which I think is a, an absolutely ridiculous, absurd film. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I remember the, the big deal being made about it uh, when it came out was that they were releasing a film called Snakes on a Plane, starring Samuel L. Jackson, and the internet took over, and the internet said, if Samuel L. Jackson doesn't at some point say, I want these mother effing snakes off this mother effing plane, then I want my money back. <laughs> so they went, all right? They, they literally <laughs> called him back and reshot a scene That's so amazing. that he could say that exact line. It is a true story. Have Nick Fury, ladies this? and gentlemen. No. <laughs> I've seen like uh, a little bit of it, but I haven't seen the whole thing. It is. Uh, it's pretty ridiculous. It is exactly what it sounds like. I mean, that is. That I do is all love horror comedy, so. It's uh, yeah. It's it's got that tone. It's definitely got that tone, and it's your number eight uh, favorite horror film in this list. So, uh, Paula, number seven. Number seven is Silent Hill, directed by Christoph Gans. Yes. <laughs> I questioned I mean, if I should say the S at the end, so I made it a bit. <laughs> yeah, it worked. It worked. Thank you. Um. Either either of you seen this? Nope. So the this, kind of the best thing about this film, it has been years since I've seen it. I don't remember loving it, but I remember two things about it that I did love at the time. I remember not really being very fond of the movie as a whole, but I thought it had tremendous atmosphere, and I thought the creature design was fantastic. So it, it has been some time since I've actually sat and watched the film, but I remember being really creeped out by the creature design. Uh, it's got a very mist-riddled, fog-riddled environment uh, in which everything is taking place, uh, which really amps up the creepy atmosphere. Um, so, you know, maybe worth it's a revisit based at some on the point. Video game have you, uh, it is. I was going to say, have yes. you played the video game? Nope. I did, um, and I, I've played that. I played Resident Evil. I, I, usually my experience with some of those horror-based uh, video games is I usually play it for like a little while, and, and very few of them have I actually had the stamina to finish, um, and Silent Hill was among those. But I remember being very impressed with its general story and, and gameplay, and um, yeah, maybe it's time to revisit the film too. They have a, uh, it's a sort of Silent Hill. It's called PT. It's just a playable trailer that they made for oh. a Silent Hill game that never came out. That is one of the scariest things I have ever huh. attempted to play. Interesting. Um, okay. Until the end. And then the end got frustrating. And then once you're frustrated in a video game, it's not scary anymore. Mm, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. So then, but the beginning of it, yeah, it got me. Oh, nice. Nice. Uh, Nathan, what's number six? Number six, the only reason I know this film is it was part of the Monster Mash we did in 2017. Goodness gracious. No, 18, 18. 18, I think, yeah. Uh, and that is Behind the Mask, colon, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, directed by Scott Glosserman. Never seen it. This, Paula, have you seen it? Nope. Y'all, this movie is I've fantastic. Seen- one, two. I've seen two movies on this list. All right. You know what's funny right. is you're one ahead of me on this list. No, no, no. I'm at two. That's right. Okay, I see it now. I bet we've wow. seen the okay. same one. Probably. That's my guess. <laughs> Maybe. Behind the Mask is a is an excellent film. It's a wonderful film. It spends the first hour being almost purely satirical, which is you know along the lines of like a Tucker and Dale versus Evil, or you which know, which I like, love. Like. Yeah, yeah, like a straightforward Mm -hmm. horror comedy. Um, So it spends the first hour being almost purely satire, and then the last half hour pivots to some remarkably effective 
scares. Um, huh. it, it's an it's an excellent film, and it's a film I adore. Um, I would highly Why recommend the, um, this film. Is is it is it based on something pretty like the title is kind of odd? Like what? <laughs> yeah, that's so. I don't want to say too much because some oh, of the okay. narrative kind of cro- props up the title, but mm. I will. I I can share the premise. The premise is that there is a documentary filmmaking crew who have been invited to catalog and document the, as the title implies, the rise of a serial killer. So this is the, uh. Leslie Vernon is is intending to be a serial killer of the ilk and on the same shelf as a Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger, those kind of things. And so that's what he's purporting to be, and he invites this documentary film crew. So what's great is that through the first hour, they're calling out tons of slasher tropes, and he's like, well, you got to do this. You've got to make sure that this happens. And, and, and so it's really clever in that way. But in the last half hour, when presumably like he is ready to emerge, it is actually remarkably scary. It's it's a really great film. It's very inventive. Um, I'm very very fond of it. Honestly, I'd I'd love for us to cover it someday because I think it's got a lot of interesting things to it. So yes, mm. listeners, you sold by all me means, on it. I might check yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah, you should definitely check it out. I highly recommend uh, Behind the Mask: The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Uh, number five is a film that is incredibly disturbing, but we were just talking about The Exorcist, uh, directed by William Friedkin, director of The Exorcist. It is the film Bug. It's a little uh, peek behind the curtain. I'm pretty sure neither of you have seen this film because if you're only two on the list, and I'm pretty sure which two those are. Um, (laughs) You sure haven't seen this one? One's the one we're (laughs) talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Something about bugs? uh, No, thank you. What's what's interesting, so part part of my memory of this, and I cannot recall her direct involvement, but uh, I remember going uh, in Charlotte, actually, at some point, to go and see the stage play of Bug, and I remember, and, and if she listens to this, which I don't know if she listens to our show, if she listens to this, then, then I'm going to have to apologize for not remembering the direct connection. But um, our mutual alum, Carrie Cranford, was in some way connected to why I went to go see it. I don't know if she stage managed the show or did costumes and props for it. I don't know exactly her involvement in the production because it was over a decade ago. And I went to see that stage show. And I remember really being kind of galvanized by the material. It's a really freaky sort of paranoia story. Um, it's about, you know, these You two saw the stage who, show before seeing the film? Yes, I saw the stage oh, okay. show before the film existed. Um, and the oh. um, and so th- this was actually, um, the story revolves around two people who are kind of impoverished. They're kind of, uh, for lack of a better designation, kind of trailer park folk. And uh, they're both this down on Ashley their luck. Judd, right? Is in the film, yes. Ashley yeah, Judd yeah. and uh, Harry Connick Jr. plays it. Michael Shannon mm. is the other oh. uh, person opposite Ashley Judd. And very early on in the film, th- these two people who are just kind of broken and kind of find each other and develop a burgeoning bit of a clunky relationship, it quickly becomes apparent that he is extremely paranoid, maybe even more severely mentally ill than we're aware of, or... Maybe he is actually on to a conspiracy happening right under their nose about an infestation that is that is occurring in their in their hmm. place. Um, and so it tap dances around with a lot of interesting things like, you know, conditions of mental illness, conspiracy theories, the dynamics of of troublesome and codependent relationships. It's a it's a fascinating I film. Think really I've fascinating seen film. bits of this or seen maybe a YouTube video where someone was talking mm. about it because mm. that description okay. sounds so familiar and I feel like I've seen at least like clips ah, from this gotcha. movie actually. Yeah. 
Um, it is a really affecting film. It is not for the faint of heart. It is the play and the ultimate film it, it were, were very uh, disturbing and unsettling, but extremely interesting experiences. So it's a film I would cautiously recommend because its material is heavy and dark, but um, very, you know, very effectively and powerfully made. So, yes, that was that was your number five uh, on this list. Paula, you get the distinction of of announcing number four. Who could guess that this is one of the two I've seen? Uh, Number four (laughs) is Lady in the Water, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, A movie with Bryce Dallas Howard in it. Mm -hmm. And a movie that I know a lot of people didn't like, but I really liked this movie. Um, I did too. I went in knowing very little and completely being willing to just accept the fact that the characters kind of just accept what's going on. Yes, Uh, yes. And... I really liked it when I saw this. And Nathan, you've seen it as well, right? This is the other uh, one that you've seen? Uh-huh. Yep. So I was not on... going to speak against our guest. No. No, of course. Of course. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't have fond <laughs> memories of this movie. No, of course. <laughs> um, you can disagree. Well, no, no, no. Actually, it's, I've only seen it the one time. Um, mm. What stands out in my memory is the, as a very high positive is the Paul Giamatti breakdown scene late in the film. I don't even, even really remember the context of it. I just remember being moved by it. Yeah. But the negative for me, <clears throat> which again, perhaps a second viewing would iron out, is I I I was turned off rather quickly by the opening sort of credit sequence, which illustrates the exact story you're about to watch. Mm. And it just, I don't know, in my mind at the time, maybe I was just being too hoity-toity or what, but... It was like, well, well, why do I need to sit and watch this now? You just yeah, why keep told watching? Me you've told me the whole story. That yeah. yeah, yeah. But again, yeah. That, that was one viewing, and and I don't know how a second viewing would change that. So, so only, and I, I, I say this with tremendous confidence, only in a fear of God list does this film make number four. Only uh, because I feel like in general our listeners are are pretty forgiving of and fond of M. Night Shyamalan's work. Because I think, critically at large, this is a pretty, like, people cite The Village as, like, the beginning of the downfall of of, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's uh, temporary downfall of his career. Um, Lady in the Water, like, almost cemented it. Like, people hated Lady in the Water. Um, For me... I feel like it has some structural problems that I can't defend. It's got some, uh, like, way too much exposition. What what I really responded to and still really respond to is its emotional quotient is extremely high. Like, if yeah. you can get on the wavelength of the of what the film is striving for emotionally, I think it can be a very rewarding viewing experience. Um also, there is an incredibly fascinating book, um, and now I'm about to bring up the book, and I'm not confident about what the title is. Um, you I'll, referenced I'll to, it on Springtime for Shyamalan, though. I did, I did. Um, uh, I can find that title at some point and, and reference it back, but there was an entire book about um, basically M. Night Shyamalan's like risking his entire stability of his career to make Lady in the Water the way he wanted to make it. Um, And it kind of identifies what might be a flaw of personality in just the way he navigates what he wants to do, but also uh, makes a strong case for just sort of visionary creativity and really fighting for what you want a thing to be um, that I found incredibly fascinating. But uh, but yeah, I I have a real soft spot in my heart for Lady in the Water. It's definitely not going to make 
top tier in Shyamalan's output, but I, no. uh, I'm a, I'm a soft defender of it, especially as a overall viewing experience. Cause I think there's some, there's some good things going on there. Well, um, like, like you, Paula, it is one of the only other two that I've seen. One of the only two I've seen on this list. Uh, Another that I've not seen is number three, and that is mm-hmm. directed by once more Guardian of the Galaxy James Gunn, that of Slither. I have not seen Slither because I remember seeing the trailer and it looked like it would make my skin crawl, and I did not. It will. This is Nathan Fillion, right? Uh, I believe he is in it, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nope, nope, he is. Uh, Michael Rooker is in it as well. Um, that makes sense. He does yeah. like Michael Rooker. Um, it will make your skin crawl. It is. Uh, will make your skin <laughs> slither, though. No, <laughs> it re- it really will. It's one of the grossest. I just don't. I don't want that. Like no. You're like, I'm, da- I'm I'm down for yeah. I'm down for kind of the roller coaster experience of the horror genre. Sometimes I'm just. I don't know. I'm just not like. Yeah. Well, and you know James. Not going to embrace that slither. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know James Gunn's sensibilities. Like it's it's right. very funny. Um, it's very kinetic in its pacing, and um, and it is really enjoyable. So there was a time, uh, before this list, before all the votes had been tallied. Uh, which again, listeners, your votes matter. Uh, but uh, before the list had been tallied, uh, this was number one. This On the show and in life, vote. They do. They do. Um. But uh, Slither uh, hovered at number one for a little while. Uh, huh. Number, t- uh, number, the the next two on the list obviously eventually overtook it. Um, but it hovered at number one for quite some time, and I do think it's a, it's a very beloved film, uh, a, a, sort of a cult following type of, of film. Uh, I I can't remember a lot of specifics except for a lot of body horror. It is a very gross film to watch, but uh, but again, very funny, fast paced. Strong performances, uh, and I remember having a lot of fun with it when I when I saw it first. So, yep, that is your number three. Um, number two is one. Uh, it's in a very very small community of films that is a remake. I consider to be objectively better than the original on which it's based, um, and that is directed by Alexander Aja, uh, who also directed High Tension and Crawl. Both have been rep- uh, uh, discussed on this film in some capacity. Um, and it is the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. This was a film in a stream of, like, Michael Bay-produced classic horror remakes. Like, they started remaking a bunch of things. They remade Friday the 13th and mm-hmm. Nightmare on Elm Street and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, and House of Wax and all these others. And The Hills Have Eyes was just one in a stream of them. And most of those films I consider to be pretty dramatically inferior to their original counterparts. This is an exception. I don't really care very much for Wes Craven's original The Hills Have Eyes. I kind of recognize its place in the canon, but I don't enjoy watching it very much. This, Alexandra Aja's version, is a film that, rough as it is at times to sit through, and it is uncomfortable to sit through, uh, I think has a lot of very interesting things going on in it, and I'm, I'm uh, appreciative of it, even though it's a difficult and challenging watch, because it's very violent, uh, sometimes very violent to some very vulnerable characters, which is, is painful to sit through, um, but there's some really interesting things going on in it that I responded to a lot. So, um, hmm. so yeah, it doesn't surprise me that it's as high on this list as it is, because I do think for those who have seen it, it's a really strong viewing experience and leaves a, a pretty indelible impression. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's your number two on the list, Paula. You have the distinct uh, privilege what, of what, giving what, us what, number what, one. What 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 what? <laughs> uh, that's my get hype sound. That's it was very effective. I am, yeah, I, I, I knew hyped. exactly. I didn't think you were having a seizure at all. I <laughs> <laughs> like, what is happening? Um, Wrong choice. <laughs> 
number one, your number one movie is The Host, directed by Bong Joon Ho. I love Fog how Cannon you one seventy four. It's true. Fog Cannon 174. I love how the hype machine eventually evolved into like a chicken. I, that, that was beautiful. <laughs> that was good. You know what? You just got to let the hype like roll through you and yep. just express just... itself however it wants yes. to come out. Wh- which came first, the hype or the egg? I, and nobody knows. Wow. It no just, one wow. knows. You can't know. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, that is your list of the top horror of 2006. Um, uh, before we move on into our discussion about the host, uh, Nathan, would you do us the honors of pulling up Box Office Mojo to find out the top five grossing box office films of 2006 before we move on? And meanwhile, let's take a look at this list. I do find this list really interesting. Um, I see a lot of sort of self-referential and, and almost uh, parody-type films in this list, I see uh, Behind the Mask definitely fits in that category. Snakes on a Plane definitely fits in that category. Um, I do think it's interesting, again, that the the upper tier are some films that uh, are a bit more challenging, uh, particularly entries two and three. I mentioned that we were going to start to get into some uh, films that are a bit more graphic in nature, push the boundaries, begin to be a bit more extreme in their viewing experiences. Um, Bug definitely uh, falls in that category for a number of reasons. So um, I think this is where we're starting to see something emerge where at least in the filmmaking sensibilities in a lot of ways, um, and of course the anomaly on the list is Lady in the Water, but I, I, I want to reemphasize, I think Lady in the Water only shows up in a top 10 on a Fear of God list. But, um, but the rest of these films are beginning to sort of push the boundaries either in visual ways or narrative ways um, or in thematic ways, they're starting to uh, sort of stretch at the edges of extremity and, and seeing how much they can push and challenge the viewer, which I do uh, find pretty interesting. But um, uh, but Nathan, uh, what yeah. you got for us? You know, what's really funny is, uh, so this list of horror films and how few I've seen, which is not a reflection inherently of their quality, but just in terms of notoriety, uh, now looking at this... 2006 worldwide box office. This is in the world in 2006. This is a bad mm. year. This is not good. <laughs> this is, sucks. Um, Paula, I don't know if you know, but we've been for these episodes. You know, we'll do our top ten and then then consult each year's uh, worldwide box office. So number five is Night at the Museum. Okay. What? Oh wow! Yeah. The first one. This is the oh, top. Yeah, yeah. This is the top five box office gross in the world in 2006 wow. number yeah, five is not okay. the museum the only movie on here that i actually would give some kudos to and like really is number four and that's casino royale um, oh yeah one that's of the a- early mm-hmm. daniel craig bonds a very um, good movie it, great yeah. action movie and Pretty and good. oh another note i like another little data point i like to throw out here is uh the difference between the number five and number one number five had 574 million Number one had over a billion, just over a billion. So, Ooh, okay. uh, Night at the Museum, Casino Royale. Number three was Ice Age, The Meltdown. Come on. Whoa, that's like a random. Maybe it was the second Ice Age. I don't remember. I well, yeah, I mean, the, the first one like would just be Ice Age. The one, yeah. Um, <laughs> interestingly, before I go too far, even glancing at the, at the 10, uh, top 10 here, number seven is X Men The Last Stand, which is a terrible movie. That's well, that's an awful movie. movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, I say it's Meltdown's number three. Number two is a movie I must admit I've not seen because just all the associations with it. And that's The Da Vinci Code by Ron Howard starring Tom Hanks. 
I'm not That's, surprised it's that high on the list. Yeah, but, uh, I'm not either. What's really funny about that movie, I, I've, I've had conversations about this with a few friends where that book was just a cultural phenomenon and everybody was talking about the book, everybody was sharing the book and talking about it, all these conspiracy theories about its validity and its reality and all these things coming up. And then that movie came out and like nobody cared anymore. The movie like silenced the conversation on the Da Vinci Code book. And yet like, they made like two more movies. Well, yeah, because he wrote other books about it. Well, right, and they just I know. continued. But the but like I remember how after the movie came out, it's like, okay, well, th- I guess there's nothing more to discuss. So we're gonna <laughs> move on now. It's yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of other things to discuss, we need to get to them. And number one on this list of 2006 worldwide box office, another dud of a film, that of, <laughs> I'm not hiding my feelings here, Pirates of the <laughs> Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Everything that's post a, number one is garbage. Yeah. Well, that's a pitiful film. I did film. really love that first one, though. Oh, the first one's oh, great. The first one's wonderful. This is such a weird year. This is Isn't such it? a strange that's year. Bad. I didn't realize that. That's, that's pretty bad. This all is how little... Are, I'm sorry to cut you off so rudely there. No. This is how little I enjoy the part, how impassioned I get about those pirates movies is in the last year or so. My kids have like, just because they see them and they'll pick up on a, an actor or something like, I think, I think the inroad here was uh, Johnny Depp in Grindelwald. And so they become mm. aware of oh. this actor and um, <laughs> really funny uh, side story inside of the side story is my mother-in-law went to see Crimes of Grindelwald with us and she came out and she was like that guy really reminded me of Johnny Depp and I was like well <laughs> it was mother-in-law what do you, what do you know <laughs> funny story um, I'm so, about to blow your mind yeah <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up for this next revelation. <laughs> Sit down for a minute. Sit down. Are you sitting down? It, you are. Get a cold compress. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, my kids find latch onto Johnny Depp. They decide they're interested in parts of Caribbean. I finally buckle one day and show them the first one because I do like the first one, but know yeah. that the problem inherent to showing the first mm-hmm. one is they're iTunes is like, oh, others. by the way, two and three and four and five and thirty of them, and <laughs> All I exist. think. At, at a certain point, I like to watch movies the first time with the kids, big stuff like that. And I was like, whatever, y'all can rent it. I don't care. I'm not going to watch <laughs> Y'all just, y'all watch so it on your, own, on your own time. Yeah, yeah. You're on your own, kid. <laughs> wow, wow. Daddy's left the building. We're not um, going to get a meaningful family experience out of this no, one. No way. <laughs> no, no, not today. Um, so that uh, that finalizes uh, a, a rather a long, a rather dud, dud of a year. Right. Uh, for, Despite uh, how long for, we spent on it. <laughs> for 2006 um and uh so now it is time to uh discuss a film that i would say is far from a dud uh is actually given the year is a, a bit of a diamond in the rough uh and that is bong joon ho's the host now this film is is and was remarkably popular it was incredibly successful financially critically acclaimed um i have wondered since this list was finalized if the, if the host would still be number one, because remember, Slither hovered at number one for a while. I wonder if the host would have made number one if not for the overwhelming affection for Parasite. I think there's there's a lot of attention. Oh, people were thinking about that again right now. Yes, yep. and so I, I wonder if that kind of influenced uh, that making the top of the list. Now, that's not to take anything away from the host because, I mean, spoiler alerts on my feelings, I think the host is, is a remarkable film. I think it's an amazing movie. But I do wonder if if part of the reason why it tops this list is fueled a bit by the affection for Parasite, which wouldn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, that's uh, was this your each of your respective first time seeing it, or had you seen it already? This was my first time seeing it. 
Mine as well. Wow. So, um, uh, Paul, I'll start with you. Just general impressions of it. Like, what, what, what was your experience of or feelings about the film? This film was really interesting. I didn't know what to expect going into it, and I feel like the entire time in the movie, I still didn't know what to expect <laughs> while mm. I was watching it. Uh, I found it really interesting. I feel like it starts, the tone shifts at a certain point in the movie. It starts yeah, it out, does. I have a note down that I wrote down. I was like, there's a lot of weird falling over in this movie. Like a <laughs> lot of people just randomly fall over um, in this. So it started out kind of like, almost with like these weirdly goofy moments. And then there came a point in the movie where I was like, oh, those aren't happening anymore. Uh, um, yeah. And I found that really interesting um in general i think i think the visual effects hold up pretty well considering yeah um the year it was made and the absolute huge amount of work that it would have been to make that creature um right right yeah this is actually my first i haven't seen parasite this is my first movie from this filmmaker i've seen at all um so i don't know if it's representative of his other work or not um yeah yeah i'm honestly i'm still kind of processing it a little sure that's uh yeah that's fair so it is uh so to just to put a pin there he's he's a remarkably accessible filmmaker this Mm. is this is pretty representative of like each of his films are distinct in their own way so like to to say oh he makes monster movies that you know that that's not really the way in which they're that it's representative but uh you talk about these tonal shifts mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes like major major narrative upending reveals happening late in the film as it does in this one you know um and so there are that is consistent all of his films are great they're all great um so any any of his films that you come across like uh, really, even the worst of them is is still remarkably watchable and entertaining. He's he's an exceptional mm-hmm. filmmaker, a really exceptional I, filmmaker. I I also thought the ensemble nature of this movie, I really liked. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's a strength. Every of his, character absolutely. has a moment, and maybe we'll get to this later. But especially at the end, something that stood mm-hmm. out to me was that it took all of them to make the ending happen. Oh, I know, and I well, and man, I love that ending so. It's much. one of was one of my favorite things I think about the movie about watching it. Yeah, no, that's awesome, awesome. Nathan, what was what was your experience? I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, so um, I'll try to quantify some of that explosive emotional energy. Um, uh, I guess it's good I went first. I was like, I mean, you know, here's a movie and uh, here's my experience well, and I'm processing. You know, I I would have I would have reeled in if you had um, you know, negative things to say, but um uh no, that's that's fortunate. So I had seen Snowpiercer years ago, uh but I didn't connect that to him as a filmmaker mm. until mm. my affection for Parasite started to develop. Gotcha. In other words, Back then, it was just, oh, Chris Evans is in this, and I've heard it's really weird, you know, so it, that was the draw. Right. I didn't know right. anything about uh, Bong's career or his, or his style. Um, and so when we covered Parasite at the top of the year, and because of its uh, Oscar 
plaudits. I have had an interest in going and, and checking out some of these. And so I'm really glad we, we covered this. And I love the feeling. Ignore It doesn't even matter what the content of the film is per se. I love the feeling of those swerves, of just a yeah, a yeah. plot that you can sort of get the get the impression of, you know, like on the oasis. I'm I'm thinking of the image of like the oasis in the desert. You like there's I, I right, can generally right. make out a plot there, but the fact that it just the amount of turns and swerves and pivots it makes on the way to it is really exciting as a as a viewer and something I really respond to strongly in in movies. Um, and specifically a a fun little story here. So I, I started it, I got, I got about half an hour in one night, uh, and then it was just late. And, and so then I, you know, kind of paused that viewing and kicked off the next night, uh, the, the second hour and a half. And, uh, despite it's the, the the lateness of the hour in real life is what kept me from moving forward, despite what where I stopped. So again, not knowing anything about the movie, you know, listener, we're going to spoil this, the, this plot for you here in, in pieces, I suppose. But at the outset, you meet this dad character and his daughter and he works or doesn't with his, his father. So it's a generational thing. Grandfather, father, right, right. granddaughter. And one, all I knew was monster movie. That's really mm. all I knew. Mm. Uh, I had, I think probably months ago I had watched the trailer, but it had been long enough that I didn't remember any real impression of it. So when, um, uh, Hunso, the granddaughter, uh, this, this bedlam ensues one, I was totally thrown that the monster gets revealed in the way he does as early as he does. I was like, Oh wow. We are. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I was it. like, I remember at the 30 minute mark being like, Oh my gosh, it's only been 30 minutes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, so no, much has happened. The, specifically at 30 minutes. So what happens is the monster reveals himself and has this big bedlam on this park area. It's really amazing. It's crazy. Just filmmaking yeah. and, and just gripping. My wife, who doesn't get into this stuff at all, I was like, just watch these 10 minutes and just made her watch until the end of that scene when Hunso yeah. gets taken. So oh. first time I've ever seen the movie, Hunso gets taken, this granddaughter, his daughter, and and mm-hmm. I was just like brokenhearted. I was like, dang, this went dark quick, you know, because <laughs> you think she's dead. And the yeah. moment where he grabs a hand and then oh, the camera shows that it's I, I literally said out loud, oh, that's not her. Oh, <laughs> out, that's I had so multiple good. out loud exclamations yeah. in this movie, and that was one of the moments. It was brilliant. Well, brilliant. so where I had to stop the movie is you know, the, the, the bedlam happens at the park. Um, there's the memorial and they're, everyone's super emotional and it's really impactful and sad. And then they're at the hospital and I'm like, okay, okay. It's, uh, it's getting kind of late. I should probably turn this off. And, you know, I, I kind of get the general gist of where this might be going and, oh, he's getting a phone call at the hospital. Okay. Whatever. Another 30 seconds or so. And it's Hunso calling him on the phone. I was like, oh, what? Right. 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 Oh, damn it. I got to go to bed. See, you know, <laughs> I was like, I didn't think she was dead. Oh, really? Even when they were crying, mm. I was like, I don't think she's dead. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I guess why. just in the moment, because I was so ready to buy in on whatever it was giving me, I got the impression. I was like, OK. And because when the monsters across the, the river, you mm-hmm. know, when when mm-hmm. the dad, 
uh, Gangdu or Gangdu is seeing the monster across the river. The monster's right. eating something, and, and it's a little yes, obscure. And so it's like, oh, okay, yes. well, it does look that like sucks. He's her. So, so it was a right. little unclear about her fate. Point being, that was a long-winded way of simply saying I had to break it up. And to its credit of this swervy nature, I was not prepared for him to get a phone call from the kid I thought yeah. was dead. And that was That's, really great. Yeah, his film, his films all have that kind of quality to it, where you're they're a little bit difficult to categorize because of how complex they are. And it's it's really astounding that he's as accessible as he is, given how swervy his narratives are. Um, for any interested party listening, as of this week, uh, f- a whopping four of his films are streaming on Hulu, if you subscribe to Hulu. Uh, you could see Parasite, if you've missed that somehow. You could see The Host. You could also, uh, if you wanted to go deeper into his catalog, see a film that he made called Mother, which is also uh, pretty... It's, it's probably his... I think it's probably his darkest film. Um, they remake is... that with um, wasn't Jennifer Lawrence in that? But that's oh. a remake, or is that They're a different unrelated. mother? Unrelated. Completely that's different. So yeah, interesting. completely unrelated. Okay, totally different movie. Yeah, Got it. Um, completely unrelated. And I think uh, viewers, by and large, would probably enjoy Bong Joon Ho's mother more than they might <laughs> enjoy uh, Darren Aronofsky's. Um, but uh, the other film is actually his directorial debut called Barking Dogs Never Bite, which is more a comedy than any of his other films. It's more directly comedic. Um, so you can also see his film Okja. Uh, in, on Netflix. Uh, Netflix. Oh, yep, yeah. that's a Netflix original. Um, so his films are very uh, like you could find them uh, in different places with just momentary digging. But yeah, they're all they're all really interesting, really accessible, and they all have that quality of being a bit difficult to grasp from a distance. You just kind of have to experience them, buckle up for the ride, and uh, and chances are very very strong you're going to enjoy having seen one of his films. They're really really great. Um, I want us to keep kind of going on on this likes dislikes train. I have just two brief bits of trivia. Uh, to cite uh, one which is probably only of interest to me but the other one maybe everybody will find interesting um, in this film the fight scene between the two brothers uh, Gangdu and Namil um, mm-hmm. th- that whole fight scene at the mass funeral was improvised it, I don't know I if I wondered wow. actually if it was it looked very real I was like yeah. that looks like he actually just kicked him in the face <laughs> yeah it was very spontaneous happened in the moment the director kept it uh, yeah really a, a very sort of real uh, emotive moment cool. that I found really impressive um, the second thing and only other thing I wanted to mention is that um, so Nathan had, had sort of summarized what we see very early in the film but about the first five or six minutes is a very odd uh, sort of uh, history lesson on it starts with a mortician in a lab, an American mortician with a Korean assistant, and the mortician is upset, uh, perturbed that there is a lot of dust on a lot of these formaldehyde bottles. So he commands the his assistant to dump all of the formaldehyde into this drain, which they know will leak into the Han River. And uh, so that's the very opening scene of the film. reason I wanted to point that out is because that mortician is played by uh, noted character actor Scott Wilson, who's a favorite character actor of mine. Um, He's been in uh, just an an incredible array of different films throughout his career, but he came to kind of popular prominence because he played the character named Herschel on the show The Walking Dead. Oh! Um, Yeah, and, uh, and... 
and and Herschel was like my favorite character on that show. I stopped watching that show quite a while ago, um, but I watched it when Herschel was around and and uh, loved Scott Wilson. And so I just had to give him a little bit of love. He sadly uh, has has passed away a couple years ago, but um, but yeah, I really uh, I really enjoy him whenever I can see him. So well, I, that was I thought this is where you were going. That is based on an actual event. Of, oh yes, of, yes, of yes. Oh really? The pouring the formaldehyde. Yeah, mm-hmm. of a military sort of personnel ordering a lackey. Not you, buddy. <laughs> no one puts no. lackey in a corner. Um, <laughs> uh, to dispose of toxic waste effectively. And and That's eventually crazy. he got, um, you know, indicted for it. But uh, yeah. I loved that opening sequence of just... Oh, it's great. I, I love this feeling. And, and again, I've seen Snowpiercer, I've seen Parasite, I've now seen The Host. But, and so this doesn't happen a ton. I'm going to describe a thing that doesn't happen often, but is nonetheless exciting when it does. I'm just like, I really like this guy's output. Uh, I'm going to just rest comfortably in knowing I'm in for a treat. That's a really yes. exciting yeah. experience uh, yeah. for a film. And, and you know, Reed, if you're cool to dive into the River Han. And, um, yeah, let's do it. I I loved even just the staging of the park massacre or the park attack. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. stuff mm-hmm. like that. You, you talk about, you've used the word accessible multiple times. Even though it's not in English, even though it's a pretty wild, topsy-turvy kind of plotting, he's just so good at like staging and film craft. And yes, that kind absolutely. of maybe I think promotes that accessibility is you're like, I'm just really impressed with how you've blocked all of this and and choreographed all of this. Yeah. Visually, it visually communicates the story really well. There's a particular scene that it's a little bit later in the movie, so we don't have to talk about it right now, but that does that, that stood out to me really well where I don't think there is any dialogue at all, but I get and it's weird. It's a weird moment, and I get it, and I loved it. Um, go ahead and go ahead and say what. Go on and yeah, talk yeah, about it. It's go, later in yeah. the movie, so it's um, later after they have escaped to the hospital and they've gone back to the stand and they're eating, and they're thinking oh, about man. how hungry. It's um, so good. What is it, Hun Hunso? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Hunso. How they yeah. they're thinking the about how hungry Hunso is must be, and then suddenly she's there, and they all oh. just feed her. It's I'm going to get emotional it's, thinking about it. it. It's lovely. It's and like lovely. there's no yeah. call out about like this is in their minds. This isn't real. This isn't. It, it doesn't draw attention. It's just this moment. And it just. And then it moves on. And it's well, like when, the only thing like that I feel like in the movie. And I just yeah, thought yeah. it was so beautiful. And also I would really like to eat a dumpling right now now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, when that little actor who plays Hunso sat up from behind the table, my jaw dropped. I was like, what? Yeah. What is going yeah. on? Oh, like, wait, what's is, going on? This and is like, beautiful. Huh. Yeah, it's great. I loved yeah. it. And that was just, you just get from the visuals what is happening. Well, and, and to, to tie a bow on that and then read, please t- go where you're going. Sh- here. Sure. I'm sure, just on yeah. thought here. I actually wrote down when, when, so listeners, one, just watch it. If you, you know, rent it for five bucks or whatever on Hulu, I'm, I'm sorry, on iTunes or, or, you know, check it on Hulu. If you have it, it's, it's definitely worth your time. This is an easy recommend. Yes. It's yes. not overly gory or graphic or anything. It's just kind no, of wild no. in its narrative, but fun wild. Um, but 
Uh, so once they're all in the hospital setting and because, and I mean, Paula, this is your first time watching this too, but maybe this echoes for you and your initial viewing read, you're, you're kind of trying to orient, okay, to who are these people? Like, what are the relationships yeah. between right. all yeah. these characters? Right. And so once it kind of clicked in and this happens when they're breaking out of the hospital and you sort of put together all the pieces. Okay, these are a trio of siblings, adult siblings, their dad. And what I actually wrote down was, uh, I said, if this is basically a misfit family banding together to rescue their youngest member, I think I'm in love. Like, I just, oh, yeah. I just loved the energy of that. Like, oh man, this is awesome. Yes. Yeah, well, what I have written down, they're all kind of screw ups, but they all rise to the occasion. And oh, I love absolutely. how on board they all are with getting her. Like she is, she's not all of their daughter. And I know no, like, no. I mean, I have a niece and a nephew and I love them more than I knew was possible to love a person. And I did not give birth to them. So like, I don't know why I'd be like, why do this aunt and uncle, why did this other brother and sister care so much? They're sacrificing so much. But I just love how much this family yeah. is on board to do whatever it takes to get her and i know oh, absolutely ah, it's cool yeah. yeah it's really fantastic uh so all i was going to say is i get the sensibility that bong joon ho truly trusts his audience like he he's sort of his films are sprawling most of them are you know at the two hour mark or a little over two hours so he trusts his audience to to follow him wherever he's going to go. And so he does what what that frees him to do is it doesn't demand that he set up a tremendous amount of exposition or a tremendous amount of explanation. He just sort of shows you what happens. And and he is such a master at the show don't tell in in all of his films that I've seen. He just he just does almost no hand-holding. He just sort of presents these characters in their dynamics, uh, it puts them through whatever he chooses to put them through, and then trusts that you will connect the dots and pick up the pieces. And he doesn't you know, make anything too heavy-handed in that regard, which, is, which again, is part of what I think makes him so accessible, is um, because he's also not extremely like abstract in his right. character development. He's it, these are if you choose to engage these films, uh this film particularly and and any of the rest of his catalog, as you said Nathan, I think so effectively, like you're just you're in for a good experience. You're just go ahead and watch the film, pay attention to it, but uh you're you're in for a really good experience. It's going to be it's going to be an enjoyable time. You're going to have some some ups and downs. Like one of the things I love about this film is it has its frights and it has its heaviness and its emotion, but a lot of the times, the even the thrills are undercut with some really effective humor. Like yeah. we talked about, mm -hmm. how everybody is on board for like getting them. That escape, the first escape oh sequence gosh, from the escape. hospital, <laughs> it is so great. And I love how like they're they're all racing and they get into the van. And when they get into the van, they're like, "Where's Namju? Where's Namju? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's your sister? How could you and leave your only sister behind?" <laughs> oh my god! But then, when he's, but then somebody makes—I forget who says it—but somebody says in like in passing, said, "Oh, she was always so slow." And then <laughs> when they when they open up the door, she is literally just She's casually like, walking yeah, yeah. over. <laughs> well, and I think I think what you're identifying is something that's been subconscious to me in the 24 hours since I've watched it, um, but is bubbling to the surface like a like a toxic 
waste monster is <laughs> he these these little random moments like things like that things like i referenced it at the top of the show with what you were doing like i love when the grandfather is trying to is actually having is not trying he's having a really impassioned heartfelt defense yes. yeah. of gong du who has mm-hmm. dozed off and he's he's conveying so much love for this person and defending his his shortcomings not only are the siblings like totally dozing while he's doing this but then he references <laughs> yes. his farts and and where i'm going with this is simply to say like uh bong joon ho despite the wildness of the premises knows real human interaction like these are just yes. real yes. character human moments like if you were sitting around with a real person and they had these this issue you would reference their farts like even, it doesn't matter yeah. how crazy mm-hmm. the situation is and stuff like that is just real indicative of another one that jumped out to me <laughs> that i just love and is just great not only is it set dressing I thought there was some other movie I was just watching the other day. Maybe it was one of something the kids were watching that was real dumb. And there's just, there's no point to some of the stuff that happens on the screen is when late in the film, when Gong Du escapes from the lab, right? Oh yes. Right. And there's just Such a these moments. I yeah. was so excited when that happened, but there's mm. just these officers They're just barking. grilling out. They're just grilling out. They're having <laughs> like, a little burger cookout. And it's the, the movie does not call attention to it. There is nothing no, story no. wise about it, except it's a human moment of, of of these people. And I just love stuff like that. No, it's it's so remarkable. It's so remarkable. And then that makes so moments like that make these sort of tragic moments, uh, mm, some of which we yes. may get into a little bit later. But like. I mean, danged if I didn't like legit tear up when the dad dies, and I knew he was I going cried. to. That was great. You know, I mean, yeah, not I, great, but yeah. I audibly cried during that moment. I, it that one really affected. I felt so profoundly sad. Well, all those all those human layers, like you know, yes. he he yes. asks the brothers about their weapons, and Gongdu says, "I've got one left." He takes it, and then Grandpa raises the the shotgun. It it's there's this masterful um editing happening there where i can't remember who's first whether it's the click with nothing or gongdu counting do you remember this he's counting oh, i think it's the click first and then the counting he realizes yeah. there's nothing left in the yes. shotgun and it's just yes. this amazing moment but then when he looks and runs after so this is what's so brilliant he looks and runs after the dad presumably to recognize like no wait right you don't have a a, a shell in the in the chamber and he looks at the dad. The dad has realized it. The monster is closing in on the dad. And the dad is looking at them and sort of waving them away. Like, no, yeah, keep yeah, going. Because yeah, yeah. he yeah, knows it's I'm it's sacrificing for myself for you. Oh, my gosh. And But what I love so, so much about that film, you talk about these human moments. What I love so much about that is that you have at that point, you have Gangdu and Namil and Namju. And Namil and Namju have run, have run away. They've, right. you know, they've taken the opportunity and they've escaped. Gongdu can't do it. He starts to, and then is is still processing that his dad is gone now, and and runs back and gets captured as a result of it. I'm like, what a what a bold decision for the filmmaker. Because I'm sitting there I'm like, the whole point of the sacrifice was to let you get away. But what human being 
could, if they were trying to process this, could actually run away. Like, it it felt real that he would come back and that he would try to process, like, what's going on and and ultimately get captured as a result of it. So, to to your point, like, it's... It's such a he's such an observer of human nature and such a a skilled craftsman at being able to present that nature in a believable and accessible way. And it's uh, it's remarkable. Another moment that uh, that I love there's you know, it's it's funny to me. I'm realizing right now, even though it's it's peppered throughout my notes. There's a, there's a number of like escape moments in yeah. the film, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. like in in different contexts, like um you know the we've mentioned the escape from the hospital. I love the uh the brothers escape when oh, the friends try great. to get him. Oh my gosh, it's wonderful. In the court in the office space, the office in the setting? office. That's oh, great. Yes. Gosh, well, I love what what's so great about that moment is uh, maybe it's just me, but up till then you kind of don't like him. You know, he's he's kind mm, of mm, yeah. And that's More of an maybe putting it too strong. Figure. You know, yeah. You yeah. you're introduced to Gongdu, so you've you're predisposed to liking him. Namil shows up; they're at odds with each other, so you kind of don't care a ton for him initially. Ooh, so right, I just love right. that all of a sudden we're totally bought in because we're, you know, we are part of the crew trying to rescue Hunsa. Yeah. and so yes, you're like, no, yes. get it, do do whatever you got to do. Um, <laughs> it's so put that great. paper clip on that plug. Oh, oh that was great. That's so great. great. God, it's great. Well, and, um, yeah. and speaking speaking of uh, being on board with the siblings, you know, in the in the that ain't right uh, column here is part of part of my describing earlier about my willingness to let a filmmaker I trust just take me where they want to take me is I I'm not thinking ahead much. I'm not thinking, mm. hey, where mm. this is going. So. <laughs> I was totally unprepared, even though they telegraphed it a mile away, for Namju to take her Rambo action pose, her Merida uh, pose, targeting the monster, and to just totally get swiped out of the way. Yes, you, yes. I mean, I was yeah. not ready for that. I was like, oh, oh, man, this is awesome. She is going to, oh, no. Nope, she is nope. Uh, in the yeah. gutter. She has been just which, thrown aside. Like, which so what's so great about that? God, see, like he he so substantiates his films hold up so well in repeat viewings because he substantiates earlier in oh, a yeah. scene that has yep. nothing to do with it that her main problem is she, she releases the arrow too, too late. She mm-hmm. takes yeah. too long, and I'm like, that's so. That's so wonderful. He knows these characters. He knows that as much of a Rambo moment as that would be, she would not release that arrow in time. The, the right, monster would right, sweep her right, out of the way right. and sweep her into the gutter. <laughs> and it's like, and it's so great. It's so great because those are the choices that that make him such an exciting filmmaker because it it is. He's going to take the – he's not going to be stereotypical or take sort of the easy path. Um I want to. Uh, I, I don't want to hurry us along t- uh, too rapidly, but uh, want to make sure we have some time to dive into scares and and to themes. Um, I have one more thing on my list that I that I wanted to make sure to to mention. In this point, uh, Paula, you referenced it earlier, and then I'll give each each of you the opportunity if you have any more likes dislikes to mention. But that final collaborative assault that ultimately takes down the monster is forgive me. It is so badass. It is just. Awesome. Like you have the the agent yellow pouring in that like stuns him. Then you have this the random homeless guy that was like an uh an extraneous figure in the film uh pours the gasoline on him. Yes, then when you I got, saw that I was like, Oh Oh man, it's great. And then Namil is gonna like throw the Molotov cocktail, but then he drops it. This was my like, other like speak out loud. I went, Oh no. 
happened. So I, I, I exclaimed. But then the the moment that kind of got robbed from us because she releases too late, uh, then Namju totally comes That's in to so hit the bullseye. Man, so it's awesome. Aww. But it all like that would be awesome enough. But then it culminates in Gongdu straight up impaling that beast. <sighs> like it's it's an amazing sequence. When the pole comes off of his hand and you have that visual of the imprint of the circle yeah. in yeah. his oh palm, my I just gosh. I loved that shot. Yeah, it's it's powerful. It's really really affecting. Um, so honestly, like, there's so many things about this film that I could mention that I, that I love. Do either of you have any any more likes dislikes that you just don't want to escape? I have one moment. Yes, go ahead. In the um, hospital, uh, after um, I'm a, I have a hard time with the names. What was his name? Gung. Gung Du, the main one. Gung Du, thank you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, when Gung Du is, has been captured and they, um, are doing all kinds of, they're trying to sedate him, all these things mm, or whatever. That's wrong. And then the, right, yeah. um, American yeah. doctor or military person comes in mm. and they're talking and I was like, he was like, tell us what, tell us what's going on. And Gung Du is talking about why no one will listen to him. And he, oh I wrote it gosh. down. He said, my words are words too. Why won't you listen to my words? And oh my gosh. I just loved that line and I loved that moment. And then it hurt even more because they still don't listen to him. I was like, oh, these, these right. guys maybe will help right. him and they, they don't at all. But did I you, just... ca- did, did you catch, I'm going to add onto this scene. So mm-hmm. I wrote this note under theme i am not intending us to go there right now because i don't totally know where to go with it but i don't think this was a glitch of the itunes digital file that i rented but when that's happening so you know gongdu gets uh taken after he stays too long with the grandpa uh he gets effectively lobotomized which is just a terrible yes. scene Ugh. um well Paula, to your point, that moment when this SOB American doctor guy is good copping, you know, put playing the good cop moment right, and you right. learn, mm-hmm. the viewer learns that there is no virus. It's just this monster they're trying to catch or something. Right. Um, right. This tissue sampling, which is real harrowing. So oh Gong Du. So the sequence here of what you just described, Gong Du starts to get emotional in response to the interrogation and and verbalizes well there's no subtitle to what he says then the interrogator interprets what he says oh, yeah. for the, for mm. us and mm-hmm. that's when and it is subtitled yes. gongdu says please don't cut me off my yes. words are words too why don't you listen to my words yes. point yes. i'm trying to make that. here is they don't subtitle when the interrogator then interprets for him. And I just thought if that's intentional and it feels like it is, oh, it's, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's a master it stroke yeah. of just I, like, yeah. oh my gosh. No, it, yeah, it's, it's pretty brilliant. Yeah. We talk about it. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. A really, really powerful line. Uh, Nathan, what, did you have any more likes, dislikes before we move into scares? Um, These are like hyper minor quibbles because I loved the movie. But one, I just don't know enough about lobotomization to know uh, how able-bodied and minded he'd be able to be after that to escape. I think it, was, it seemed to me like it just didn't work. That was my thing. Is I, I think oh. it was an unsuccessful lobotomy because um, I, I think he was feigning 
that it was effective. And then when he picks up the syringe sure, and yeah. overpowers the I mean, nurse, I'm on board with that's it. It, it just was, yeah. took me a minute. And the only other thing, which again, which is just a quibble, is uh, because there's so much going on in the second half of the film, I started to lose my sense of time, like chronology. Like, yes, I can't that's a good tell. point. For instance, it, it most notably when Namil is in, invading the corporate office, I'm like, how far forward are we in time, if at all? Anyway, so I, right. I, I don't care. It was just a yeah. little confusing and, and hard to root myself or ground myself in a chronology. I, I had that same thought, especially when the um, kids in the sewer are talking about how hungry they are. And I'm like, I wonder how long have they been able yeah. to live with no food? I wonder how many right. days have gone right. by. I also had that question. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's fair. That's fair. Um there are some uh, in, in a in a straight up monster movie. Uh, I think for the most part, it's not really very uh, nightmare inducing. But there are some Mm-mm. just really really effective scares. Um, the one that I'm going to reference right now, we've already talked because mostly because we've already talked about it. I think probably the most gruesome thing about this movie are the tests that they run on Gongdu. Like yes. the the, it's terrible. the scenes. Yeah, the scenes where they're like doing the tissue sampling you mentioned earlier. They've got him harnessed. For that eventual lobotomy, uh, that those are the worst moments in the film in terms of just raw gruesomeness. It's funny you cite that. It's funny you cite that because I was my heart was so in the film by that point that when it starts getting super dark, there I was like, oh no, I'm not going to be okay if this is going to suddenly take a really <laughs> nihilistic turn. I was like, are we all going right. to die? Yes. I oh also had a moment where I went, I think everyone's going to die in this movie. I know, I know. I was really worried for a minute die? there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you guys have listed for scares? I've got a couple more, but I, I don't want to steal anybody's thunder. Also mentioned already, and it's early, but I mean, when Gongdu rises in the park and is not holding Hanso, but is holding someone oh, else. Yes. I mean, you're, oh my your, your stomach and heart fall, you know, like, oh my God. Just, just yeah, cause again, oh, you're, you're trying to sort of, uh, acclimate to what the film is doing at all at that point. And so, you know, even as little as I totally understood all of the relational dynamics, I knew this is bad. <laughs> oh yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Apollo, anything for you? Um, I have the moment when the monster comes into the sewer and um, they're like, oh, I wonder what maybe the body that it's going to drop down will have like a cell phone or something that works. And then it just vomits out all the bones. That ain't right. That ain't right. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That was rough. And then the beer can. After she had just been thinking about a beer can because it was making her think of her dad. Like, uh, oh, man, uh, that moment I found horrifying basically well and what's what's one it's i mean it's dreadful and it is i have i have it written down in all caps <laughs> the yeah. monster coughed up all the bones but what's remarkable about that that moment from a just film experience perspective is you don't realize until the monster coughs up all those bones that you've been kind of relaxed to the monster's threat Oh, yeah. no, he just captures them and drops them down in the sewer like his little pets or something. But it is that moment that you realize, oh, no, the ones he coughed up are merely the ones he's saving for later. And yeah. it's like right. that is it, it's it's so fantastic, again, as a storytelling rhythm, because he has effectively sort of relaxed and eased you on the threat of this beast 
only to crank it up to 11 when it coughs up because it just it's just a mountain of bones i mean it is a, it's it is so an gross. overwhelming amount um and then one for me probably my biggest one is when oh gosh and the staging of the sequence yes. is so brilliant when she jumps for the rope yep. yes. that yep. she's yes. made so good and so good. and yes. then and then she registers that she's like suspended in air and you think oh she caught the rope cuz you see the thing but then it it goes down to the little boy oh, and oh. the little boy is like wetting his pants from something and you're like what what what's what's happening and then that's when it reveals that she's not caught the rope the monster has caught her with its tail that's so and great. and and then even further to that the sequence like I'm like nail biting suspense but that's when you realize as they do uh, a, a bit too late that the monster was not asleep but was merely waiting for them to emerge from their little hiding spot so that it could grab them and that's just, oh man the whole huh. sequence is just uh, it's completely fraught with incredible suspense and i think it's brilliant it's one of the most brilliantly staged moments i've i've ever seen in a in a monster movie yeah i had that one on my list as well so, sorry for stealing your thunder there. Sorry no, about that. No, that's okay. It's your it's uh. your podcast. You know. What? <laughs> you, you know what? I'll come on. She uh, I'll she come has on like fifteen by... of them. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come on Death by Monsters, and you cannot let me talk. That'll be that'll be revenge. <laughs> so, guys, this is Reed. Just talk over him for an hour. He's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last one I have mentioned, and then you can reference whatever uh, whatever else you have. Is uh, is is I <laughs> I just wrote down. That moment when everybody on the curb is wearing masks and oh, the guy yes. coughs yes. and then spits into the gutter water and a vehicle like splashes it on it. It's a little too real right now. That's all. It's a little that too bad. real. So uh, that was that was the last I had on my little sort of scares list. Um, so do either of you have anything before we tread some deeper waters? Paula, you got any other scares? Um, I thought of another moment. I don't know that it really counts as a scare, but I'll say mm. it anyway. Um, cause I thought of another moment that I found just really effective and it's when, uh, they see the hand at the end, they see the hand reaching when the monster's dead and they see the hand reaching out and mm, he grabs mm. it and pulls out the kids and they're yeah. clutching each other. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's oh my um, gosh. I found it just, it moved. It, I found it really moving. I just, yeah, it, it's, yeah it's because that affecting. the same thing, maybe this is more diving into theme now that I think about it, but it's that same thing of just the way the rest of her family was immediately on board with working together to try and get her. She was just immediately on board with trying to protect this other person. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Who needed help. She just took that in stride. I'm in charge. I'm going to help this person who is less capable than I am. Oh, and then, oh, just, yeah, it's the end. It's just so sad. Okay. Yeah, no the the ending is pretty devastating because we haven't if you haven't seen this film and and please please watch it but the the entire film narratively is based around this about Gongdu trying to get his daughter back and trying to rescue her. So in the end when she has lost her life protecting the life of this other little boy and she ultimately you know, it's like this. They, they gave you this big fake out because you see her quote unquote death in the first twenty minutes of the movie. Then he, she calls him, so she's alive, and now this entire film is based around her rescue attempt, or the, you know, their their attempt to rescue her. So then, ultimately, when she dies, 
I mean, it's it's a huge. The rug just gets pulled out from under you. I mean, it is really a devastating moment. It's a, it's a it's a powerful moment. I don't I don't dislike the choice. It's just very difficult not to be really affected by it and not to be really sort of um, devastated. Might be too harsh a word, but it's it it's it's an incredible gut punch when uh, when that happens. Well, um, let do you care yeah, if we go, talk about that. No, for a please, please. Um, yeah. you know. Uh, I I actually other than what I found of the brilliant sort of uh, editing about the subtitles when Gongdu is being interrogated, I didn't write a ton down for theme, but but the scene y'all are describing is something that's been on my brain and heart, and uh, as I've tried to process, okay, what do I think this movie is after? And I don't have an answer to that question yet. And so I pose a question to to the three of us to kind of just sort of feel our way around in this, the gullet of this river monster. Um, <laughs> and the question, and I'll follow some of the back, the behind the thought of it after I pose it. But the question was, why does Hunso need to die in this story? Like, why is mm-hmm. that an important element uh, because clearly it is as Reed, as you sort of just described, you kind of have the fake out early on. And at least I got the impression we might be heading for a reunion. Grandpa is going to pass away because you're, you're, um, Joseph Campbell, your old wise man has to, right, has to happen. Right. Um, yeah, sure, sure. But I, I kind of wrestled a little bit with just, and again, it wasn't a, what a bad choice, what a wrong choice. I, I trust this storyteller implicitly and so it's more just a i need to figure out my thoughts around that choice not questioning it itself because so much of so much of the the spine feels like it's the family yes but even specifically gong do as a father right and can he yeah right, can he right. rise to responsibility in that role like Right. Maybe I'm maybe I'm miss maybe I'm adding too much to it, but that feels like a no, lot I of what's that too. Yeah. being stirred mm. in the pot mm-hmm. of the film, and he has his helpers, which is his siblings and father, to to point the character in this direction. So it feels a little counterintuitive, although very human and very real. People pass away uh, to rob this character at the end of the thing he's been pursuing the whole time. Well, and so I've just do I has he been robbed or has he stepped up to the ultimate choice mm. of fatherhood when he didn't I mean from what I can understand about Hunso's birth I mean I don't think that was planned and then the mother right. ran off and so he was kind of forced into this situation that he wasn't ready for and couldn't really do and now he does not have to be the father of this little boy he could have taken that little boy to family services or whatever and washed his hands of it and had been free of responsibility but in this moment he chooses to step up and take care of this person well and 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 i'll even so i feel like that that's part of it go for it well, and so, so I'm sorry that this film's so exciting. It just it just bursts the and thing. Speaking of washing Not, your hands, wash your hands. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but uh, but honestly, like not only stepped up. You you mentioned he could have dropped him off to family services. Could have done. Could have let him die, because when he when he comes up to that boy, he does not merely 
like take a crying, helpless little boy in. He fights to revive him because the boy the boy was in the monster's mouth too. And so what is an element among many that is deeply affecting to me about that moment is he registers, she fought to save you. I can't save her. I can save you. I can finish what she started. And if I save and, you, I'll have a piece of her because you were with her down there. Well, yes. and yeah. and Reed, you just identified this too. I th- because and neither of you are saying this, but I think it is valuable to sort of allow Hansu not to just be a prop to Gongdu's emergence mm. and role. And yeah, so right, right, and so right. what I think is really beautiful and fascinating is the way he finds them is Hansu teaching him how to now move mm. forward, right? Mm. It's mm. in other words, in other words, Hansu's actions through this film have to matter to the the heart of it, right? The meat of it, the right. essence of it. Right. And so I, I'm I I will admit I'm doing a lot of mental legwork to get here, but mm. Clearly, a lot fires for Gongdu in that moment of she's been alive, she's stayed alive, she has fought, she has uh, survived, she has thrived, she has not just done all of that for herself, but she has now done this for this child too. Right. Thus, right. all the things he's done to try to earn to rescue her can now be pivoted into her sacrifice can teach him now what it truly means to step into that role. I don't know. Again, I'm just trying to feel through some of these yeah. thoughts. And and what we're left with is a haunting and in its way remarkably beautiful image of them so so of Gongdu and the little boy who we can safely presume he is adopted and he is in this uh their their food stand. He's running the food stand that previously belonged to his father and I love that the final image is of him and the boy in the little food stand, like that is acting as kind of their home, but mm-hmm. it's snowy everywhere around. Yeah. Like, no, you know, they're just in this little pocket, but he is now, did, did, I don't know if you picked up on it the same way I did, but I get the impression that he's like now like self-appointed guardian of the river. That he's like self-appointed, huh. sort of like that like that cool. he's there because when yeah. he's in when he's in the food stand, that's like the first moment that we see him in that. Afterwards, the boy is sleeping, but he's watching the river, and he's like, right. you know, sort of primed if anything were to come out of it again, that he's there and and he's going to kind of step up and be that protector. Which, again, like you you the the moment where their father his you know the, all of him and his siblings uh that their father was trying to sort of defend Gangdu in that moment that is both uh, heartfelt and comical we referenced earlier um he said like you know Gangdu is the eldest sibling and so uh, we I don't recall in this moment if their mother like ran away or if their mother died somehow i don't remember exactly if the story tells us exactly why i don't think they why. tell us he's just like he his mom wasn't around or something he yes there wasn't yes. a mother yeah there wasn't a mother so gongdu had to kind of step up and 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 be the protector and said he had to like deny himself protein and and everything like and so that's why he's uh kind of uh narcoleptic and and falls asleep sometimes in in presumably tense situations um, but I just found that really touching that in the end, he's got this boy 
who this boy with no family and now this man with no daughter and they found each other and they positioned themselves in a little food stand uh, next to the river and they're going to do what they can to sort of just keep watch and 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 I just I don't know it's it's, it's a powerful uh, metaphor that I don't even feel like I'm really sufficient to unpack in the moment but it really touched me that that final scene just in so many ways and I love so love that they're watching the news and they're watching some American press briefing and then the little boy's like no turn turn it off because he's like do you want to watch something else like turn it off let's concentrate on eating like they're just going to be together in that moment and eat their food and so he turns it off and I don't know if you guys caught this this is this is probably one of the most heavy-handed uh, elements of the film, if there are any, uh, that the final word spoken in the film is spoken by the American delivering the press briefing, and the final word is misinformation. Um, mm. And that is that is the very final mm-hmm. word of the film. Um, and in that is the word we're left with as he clicks off the TV, and you know then he and his his new adopted child are going to sit in this in this stand and uh and i I, i'd I'd like to express a thought really quick it doesn't have to to go much further than this and and then i'd invite either of you to either respond or or we'll see where it goes from here but you know one of the one of the things that we're because i didn't realize and obviously we've been letting the listeners to at least some degree guide what our content is going to be through this season because uh we let the listeners vote on what the list is whatever rises to the top of the list or, you know, we may or may not pick the very top slot, but whatever's there, uh, that's what we're going to kind of focus on. So top spot was the host. We decide to cover the host. And then as a fundamental sort of element of the plot is this threat of a virus and this governmental response. And in the process of the navigation, there's this entire dialogue about misinformation and the 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 government in this story kind of trying to cover up the culpability of the creation of this monster um, with with all of these sort of fabricated pieces of information but what we're left with and here's what I found so powerful I'll, I'll do my best to express this concisely and then shut up what I found so powerful is that this film that was made freaking like 14 years ago Amidst all of this craziness, what the film leaves us with is one more sort of uh, talk, 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 and and talk about the spread of misinformation and whatever it is. And then we're left with them just sort of deciding to turn it all off Mm. and to just sit and eat together and just be together and concentrate on eating. And it, it is contemporary to the time that it hit me this. But guys, that bowled me over knocked me down in terms of just like cut out the noise for a minute just just cut out the noise for a minute sit at the table with who you're with uh guardian over the river amongst the people that you now care about the people in your charge the people in your care the people in your circle and just concentrate on eating and as the snow falls around them and and the lights quietly dimmed. God, I found that beautiful. That was just so much about it uh, and so prescient for the time that we're in. And and I know that I don't. I actually am actively choosing not to dig in because I don't think it's a very fruitful conversation. Uh, at least my contribution to it wouldn't be um, digging in on sort of the misinformation element of it. That's worth talking about if we feel like it is. But for me, the the moment 
hinges on they turn the TV off and they sit together and mm-hmm. they choose to be together. And so to me, one of the things that I keep thinking about, my, my wife and I have speculated about it in this time, and I know that, uh, that, that I want to be sensitive to the fact that everybody's situation is different. If you're in the healthcare field, if you're in the grocery field, then you're going to work. If you're considered an essential business, then you're still going to work. All of that's still happening. But one of the things that still so stands out to me is there's a lot of people at home right now and and somewhat stuck at home. And to me, one of the things that we've reflected on so much is we're spending more time together like as a family, as a family unit. We are fortunate enough that we, you know, my wife and son and I are all healthy at the moment and we're together. Um, And to really as emotionally distressing as so much of what's happening is like, to try to pay attention to the cherishing of that dynamic. There's a lot to be grieved and there's a lot to be concerned about, but not to miss in that moment, <laughs> to use the, the momentary language of the film, like turn out the noise for a second, sit at the table, play the game together, eat the food together, talk with one another, like like be present in that moment with one another. Um, and that just really affected and, and as I said, bowled me over um, for what it's worth, but uh, in responses. Well, and to add to your mix there that only will enhance the poignance of it is not just turn off the misinformation, but, and both Gongdu and this little boy know this, there are monsters and people you love yes. might and will yeah. die. Mm. Mm. Now turn yeah. it off and be with those you need, who need you yeah. and who you love. And that's yeah. really yeah. powerful. Oh, it's very affecting, very affecting. And uh, that is that is one of my major sort of takeaways of the film. And and you know, we we never well, I shouldn't say we never. We never try, and I think rarely do get like super preachy on this show. I mean, maybe listeners would disagree, but I f- I feel like we try to have just a real honest conversation, which may sometimes come off preachy when we're passionate or or opinionated, but. Um, like, but we are never really... passionate or opinionated on this show. Just so it's clear, <laughs> that doesn't happen. Sh- sure, I have sure, no opinion sure. about that at all, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel or very, very self-aware. Apparently, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> it it is all the things. Um, but I I'm I'm thinking about you know like, and God, how hard it is in seasons like this to take seriously Christ's commandment not to worry for your life or what you'll eat, or what you'll wear, like how how challenging and difficult it is in this particular season to, like you said, Nathan, like to know that there are monsters afoot, or at least that there were, and that there might be more, and to know that loss is real and loss is possible, and yet to take seriously the commandment, uh, I'll call it a commandment, the the compulsion that Christ gave us to, you know, worry not for your life and consider the lilies and 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 these kinds of thoughts that try like little echoes in the darkness to to reverberate and 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 I do think the only way that we can come remotely close to truly appreciating what that must feel like and how hard that must be to to grasp is to turn out the noise, is to be more actively and intensely and intentionally present with those around us and to to put down the social media and to put down the phones and to you know to stop and to to pause 
and just just be there with with each other. And and I don't want to be insensitive. There may be some listeners out there who are saying like, well, I don't have that choice because the people that I would love to be with don't live with me and I can't go visit them. I recognize that and I don't want to be I don't want to be insensitive to to people who might be in a different uh, position or station. But I think even in those conditions, there's something to be said for being present in the moment and being uh, just just having the scales fall from your eyes of exactly how much we typically concern ourselves with in our daily striving that maybe really aren't of the essence and really getting down into what that essence must be and what that essence must look like, which might be as simple as, you know, it harkens back to the moment that we mentioned earlier where they're all sitting at, at, at a table of ramen and dumplings and, and wondering like, yeah, Hanso must be really hungry. And suddenly they visualize her there. She's not there, <laughs> but, so they vis- but they visualize her there. And then now Gangdu and this little boy at the end, they are there. And they are present with each other. And just love that the little boy is the one who says it. No, concentrate on eating. And then he listens. God, it's so beautiful. I could go on for another hour. That's, that's so, so beautiful. Um, now I just want anyway. to watch the movie again. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paula, I feel like I've sort of uh, talked over both of you. I know Nathan responded a little bit. Do you have any other sort of thoughts or any sort of expressions, elements you want to highlight or, or even just general thoughts about it in general? I don't know. I was just thinking while you were talking about how difficult it is to experience that still small voice when you aren't allowing yourself to have quiet time and how I found it in some ways even more challenging right now, even in an isolated setting, to find that quiet time because I found my brain to be it's hard to be quiet when it's quiet yeah. sometimes. Right. And right. and so sometimes the impulse is to go to the news or go to social media or fill the worry with information and how that may in some scenarios not facilitate the ability to experience God or... Yeah. yeah. Um, or truly experience the people around you if you have people around you. You know, I'm also lucky I have, you know, my partner is, I am quarantined with my partner right now. I would be yeah, having a much harder yeah. time if it was just me in an apartment. Um, <laughs> right, right. But I, I don't know, I was just thinking about that, the challenge of being quiet in a time that is worrying and how that does relate to the end of the, the movie here. So yeah. No, absolutely. Um, well, I, I, I don't want to, as I've said before, I don't want to uh, like belabor the point or, or keep us talking for the sake of talking. But it, and if you guys don't have anything particularly burning to express, maybe we go to the fog meter or Nathan, if you have something that you want to make sure you express, we can we can pause for a moment to do that. I appreciate your willingness to pause for me. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I could, but I, I, we, maybe on the host part two, we'll come back around (laughs) just whatever you do please don't cut me off my words are words too god what a beautiful my words are words too absolutely amen um well uh then then with that uh let's let's take our words into the fog meter which is our very specific metric of fear and god where we rate these films or whatever content we cover on uh their scares and their substance um so i'll lead the charge with fear 
a little difficult for me to uh, really categorize this film in a fear measurement because I feel like it is far more thrilling and emotional than it is necessarily scary, although the creature is very effective. We haven't talked very much about like the creature design. I love the way it and, moves. And, I love the way it's yeah. designed oh, and how it moves. It's awesome. Absolutely. Um, which was very, you know, Bong Joon-ho had said it was very like directing another actor in the film. Like he was very mm-hmm. deliberate mm-hmm. with the structure of, of this creature. And, um, and so uh, that the creature alone is enough for me to give this a six. Um, I, I think it's not really very nightmarish, but, uh, but that creature is just fantastic. So I'm going to give it a six. Uh, Paula, what would you rate it on fear? Um, remind me. Oh, wait, oh, here we are. Here we are. This is a scale of one to 10. That's right. It is. It is. Um, <sighs> I didn't, it's interesting, it's like you said, I didn't find this movie particularly scary in the traditional sense. I did find it filling me, in some cases, with dread. Um, Sure. More of an existential fear than, like, a jump scare kind of movie. Um, Right, right. So, I'd probably put it it, with that in mind, I'd probably honestly put it at, like, a five, like, right smack in the middle there. Gotcha, gotcha. Nathan, what about for you? Um, I think I will split the difference on y'all and go five and a half. It just isn't. <laughs> uh, it uh, I had to be that guy. Um, hey, sure. You know it. It. What else is new? I know. I was gonna say you. You know all too well. <laughs> you know all too well. Um, yeah. It. It isn't scary, but I think that the gift Bong has of nimbleness of narrative can be, you know, keep you on your toes uh, and sometimes on your backside because you're like, Oh, I did not see that coming. (laughs) So yeah, from that standpoint, I'll give it some, some points. Awesome. Uh, Nathan, what would you say for the God meter, the substance factor, if you will? Uh, 10. Ah, nice. I I don't know. I just, I think he's really good. At least in this one, I know in parasite as well of dressing human drama and, maturation up with thrilling convention you know yeah, like, absolutely like I, I i think there's so much going on between gongdu and his father between gongdu and his siblings between gongdu and his daughter between the siblings and each other you know i mean there's all of these things are so richly drawn but you could also just enjoy it as a creature feature if you wanted to yeah, absolutely. Paula, what say you? I don't think I'd give it a full 10. I'm somewhere between like an 8 and a 9, I think. Eight uh, and a half it is. An 8 and a half it is. I'll be that person. <laughs> nothing nothing earns a full 10, a perfect score. Are you crazy? <laughs> um, we haven't done many of them. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But there is, I mean, everything Nathan said. I mean, there is so much there. Um, and so much of it is so cleverly set up and then paid off, which I think is really important. Um yeah. I do wish I had I had, had an inkling that the brother was an escape artist before right before uh uh yeah. Like yeah. his moment they're like he's an escape artist. I was like is he? And that's what's keeping me from making it a 10. I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> that one little note. Do that better next one. time. Please yes, just be do a better, better next filmmaker, time, sir. please. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, as Nathan did with us, I'm going to split the difference between the pair of you. I'm, I think I'm going to go nine. Um, and uh, I feel like for humanity alone, like like the substance, like 
the God meter can be measured in a number of different ways and can mean a number of different things. My nine Heretic. is almost entire. <laughs> my nine <laughs> is almost entirely wrapped up in the the human qualities of these characters and mm. Bong Joon Ho's apparently limitless powers of human observation and his skill at being able to express that in a really authentic way um, is is just remarkable. So um, that means that we give the host Bong Joon Ho's third film a seven and a half on the fog meter, which is a pretty impressive showing by any measurement. Um, but the real question at hand, Nathan, we already know you answer, but I'm going to come to you first to, to champion it again. Uh, would you recommend the host to any of our listeners that they check it out? Any and all of them and all the others who aren't listeners yet so they can become listeners. No, I loved it. I thought it was great. It was exciting. <laughs> uh, it was, you know, touching. It was, yeah, I loved it. Uh, Paula, how about for you? Yeah, I I would definitely recommend watching this. There's not that many viewing experiences that make me exclaim things at my TV screen. And this one <laughs> did it multiple times. So just based yeah. on that yeah. alone, yes, watch this. Yeah. It's it's a really easy recommend. Uh, it's it's a monster feature that is not too scary, not too graphic, um, a thrilling experience. It has comedy. Um, it has deeply felt emotion. Uh, lots of surprises. If you've listened to this and haven't seen it, we've spoiled most of them, but it is still a really accessible and enjoyable film. Uh, so yeah, three recommendations uh, wholeheartedly. Um, so that that puts another installment of. 2020-2020 in the books for 2006. Uh, I want to say a very, very big thank you to Paula Deming of the uh, Death by Monsters podcast and, and numerous other podcasts. Thank you so much, Paula, for coming. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I've had such a good time and I just really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, we, we hope to have you back again really soon. Nathan, as always, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Um, and so next week, everybody, uh, we are going to your top 10 favorites of 2007, uh, which is a really interesting list. I've seen it. It's really fascinating. Um, so we're going to be counting down your top 10 of 2007. And the film we are going to be covering in that list is Michael Doherty's Trick or Treat. That's uh, R with the little <laughs> apostrophe nice. in front of it. <laughs> yes. Trick or Treat. Have you so, seen that? Uh, I think I have seen that one, yeah. Really? That actually surprises yeah. me based on what you've said. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few. So, um, I've seen a few random things, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. Uh, so so that is a really interesting film. Um, I, You know, we've been putting, like, some disclaimers about, you know, discretion and discernment. Uh, I think that's that's probably a film that, that any sort of casual horror viewer can probably go into without much uh, caution. But uh, Trick or Treat, Michael Dartery's. Trick or Treat, uh, that is going to be our subject next week, along with your top 10 of 2007. Thank you again to Paula and Nathan. Um, and as we say on this, on every episode of the show, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. So, uh, see yeah, you next we'll week. see you next week, everybody. Thank you, Paula. Bye, everyone.
The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright, who helped me read Lackey write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.